0: Well, what a beautiful day it is! And how many of you were uh, went to the uh, Fall Fest yesterday, and uh, that was in Zion'sville. Very many of you it was, it was it was wonderful out there. We had our little float and uh, it marched its way through, and we had a lot of our middle schoolers actually show up and participate in that. And it was a uh, it was a real a real blessing to to see you all. And our three girls they uh, they loved it. They uh, they're getting their wave down, and um, so uh, future uh, Miss USA's I'm sure of it. Um, so today we are looking at the tower of Babel, and it is an exceptional text, and we find it in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, and typically, I know, we usually have the words up on the screen, but because this is such an an audible story, if you will, I'm going to ask that we just simply listen to it this morning. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly.
1: And they had brick for stone and bitumen
0: for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad on the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city. and the tower which with had built. And the, and the Lord said, My God, my God, they the face of all terre. the earth, and they la left sea. off de building terre. the city. Se de bâtir. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Sisters and brothers in Christ, whether you understood it or not, <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, the reality is there are so many competing voices in our minds, in our hearts, and in our culture. that makes it difficult oftentimes for us to hear you and you alone. So I pray this morning that you will help us to hear you with clarity. Open up our ears, that we may not just hear, but understand you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to first of all thank Pamela Ackerman and Liz Coates for their Spanish rendition, and Cynthia Carr was French, and then Stevie uh, Mulya, uh, who, um, it was Indonesian, although it's a specific kind of Indonesian, I think, and I forget what that is. So uh, I'm sure that you all knew what it was, but, uh, but so thank you all for helping. Uh, this is a fascinating kind of Text, isn't it? This is a, another kind of great uh, children's story for us, the Tower of Babel. And as the story clearly alluded to, as our Chil- Jesus Children's Storybook alluded to, uh, this is a story that comes right after Noah and the ark. And clearly, the children have been. Busy Because before you know it, we have a whole nation, do we not? And they are moving in what direction? They are moving east. You're an American. You think everything moves west. They were moving east, eastward, to the plain of Shinar. And they reached the plain of Shinar after having moved for quite a while, and they said, why don't we settle down? Makes sense, really. In fact, it probably comes naturally for most of us. Wherever we go, or wherever you see civilizations, you see this desire to settle down, right? If if you walk through the streets of Zionsville, you'll see all of these little signs. And one of them says, this is where the first white settler settled, right? Which means they've been on the move and finally said, I'm going to stop. Or, or you move on and you see another sign that says this is where the first inn is, the first hotel, or where the first church is. And so you have a group of people who are on the move and said, we're tired of moving, we want to stop. And of course, we also understand what it's like to move into a place and then want to build up something, don't you? At some point, the people in Carmel said, you know what, we've got this great town, it's wonderful, we should build a tower. We'll call it the Palladium, right? And so they, so they, so they built that up, Right? Indianapolis, of course. I mean, you can see all the towers as you are, as you are coming into town. It's just kind of natural. There's nothing all that surprising about it. But God, it seems, was a bit concerned. And so he decided to come down and check out and see exactly what was happening. And, and, and others have pointed out the fact that this is somewhat comedic really. I mean, think about it. Here you've got these people and they are very impressed, right? They keep building this tower. They think, oh, we are going to reach the heavens. But God can hardly even tell what it is because it's still so small. And so we has to come down in order to get a look, right? It's a little bit akin to what happens when my, my two oldest daughters, they, they think they're just amazing at everything. And so they, they say, oh, daddy, wait, wait, you've got to see us jump. Oh, we have been working on this. And so they'll jump, and you can't tell, right? And so I know there are some parents who are just like, oh, that's great. I, I don't want to lie to the kids. So I, you know, I say, okay, so what do I have to do? I have to get down on the ground, put my face up against the floor, and then I look at their feet, and sometimes they actually get off the ground. And I can tell when I'm down on the ground next to them. But otherwise, quite frankly, it is simply not that impressive, And so even though humanity thinks that they're building something, God has to come down. And so he looks at it. And even though it may not be that impressive to him, he still has concerns, doesn't he? In fact, he says, if they can do this, then nothing will be impossible for them. And this oftentimes causes some consternation or concern amongst us. We think, oh, no, well, how could this be? Is God worried that they're going to be able to do anything and that he won't be able to stop it? Well, of course, that's not really true. We have to read this in context, right? Three weeks ago, we, we learned that God created the whole world, right? And if, you know, what did Bill Cosby said? If I brought you into this world, I can take you out, right? You guys remember that. And so, so that, you know, you have that happening. You, you've already seen him kick out Adam and Eve from the garden. You've already seen the flood. Clearly, God's in control. But there is a concern, it seems to me, from God That he's worried that if they are able to do this, then who knows what else they will be able to do to one another. And when groups form and are able to do things like this, we have seen throughout history that oftentimes they can cause great damage to others and even to themselves. So God realizes that he has to stop it. And this is really one of the more fascinating parts of this whole story, it seems to me. If you had asked me, and if I had never heard this story, okay, if you're God and there's a tower and you want it to be stop being built, what would you do? Well, there's a number of things I would think about. I, maybe you would have an earthquake come down and just tear down the whole tower. Or maybe you would have them uh, be blinded so that they couldn't see and then they couldn't do anything. Or maybe you would, you, you, would, you would suggest that they hire a bad contractor that makes sure it never happens. There's lots of things, but I would never think about the very simple practice of confusing their language. That's all he did, change the language, and just like that, everything stopped. The tower stopped being built. The city ended up being deserted, and the people were scattered. Now, it seems to me that one of the things that perhaps we don't talk about a whole lot, but I, I, I would be remiss if I don't mention, is the importance in our world when it comes to language. The importance, if you will, when it comes to unity and how we hear and understand one another. How Quickly, people can be unified. And all of a sudden, when they are not hearing one another well for what they are saying, just like that, unity is dismantled and demolished. And I want to say this is critical for churches of which many of us are a part here and in, the, in these United States and in the world during difficult times. Times that one of the most important things that we can do is to not fail in recognizing the importance of how we are saying things and in how we are being heard. The importance, if you will, not just even of speaking with grace, but of hearing with grace. In a time of struggle... challenges, we need to ask ourselves if we are committed to really wanting to hear what one another is saying even if they disagree with us and making sure that we are really understanding what is being said and that we are saying things in a way that people can hear it with grace and love. Because if we are not, any unity that we have will be demolished and destroyed just Like that. So we need to pay attention, all of us, to the importance of language. But of course, this isn't the only lesson to be learned from the story of the Tower of Babel. One of the odd things, it seemed to me, even as a child was why in the world God was so bothered by what was happening. I mean, in the one sense, if you think about it, they were incredibly united, right? It was a good community, and, and especially in the New Testament, you, you, you see repeatedly, we talked about this when I first got here in Colossians about again and again and again, they kept talking about unity and, and community and the, the importance of that. And so it seems a little bit odd, really. But, of course, there are a couple of key things that are important for us to keep in mind. The first thing is the thing we oftentimes tell our children when it comes to this particular story, which is the simple fact that they were trying to make a name for themselves. In other words, they seem to be much more concerned or they were much more self-centered, if you will, than they were God-centered. And the reality is, no matter how unified you may seem to be, if your unity is around yourself and your own desires, it is inevitable that at some point that unity will be crushed. So one of the things, one of the challenges that we will always have if we're honest with one another is how quickly and how easily we end up promoting ourselves rather than others. How quickly we forget the very first Bible story that we talked about three weeks ago. What was that about? What was that about? Creation, right? The story's right up there in that window. You can go up and look at it afterwards. The story of creation, which means God created us. We did not create God, right? Which means that everything that we have and everything that we are is not ours, but is Right? One of the reasons why when it comes to stewardship and how we spend our time and our talent and treasure, we talk about the fact that a part of the reason why we do that is not to simply keep the lights on or to keep the staff fed, though we certainly appreciate it. But it is to reveal to ourselves how much do we really believe that everything we have is a gift and not something that we possess, And so here at the beginning of this story, or here as we kind of struggle with why God was disconcerted with what was going on, it's clear that one of those reasons is because they seem to be more concerned about themselves than they were about God. But the second thing is is something that Liz alluded to in her prayer, and I think it's something that perhaps we don't always think about when it comes to the story ...of the Tower of Babel, which is the fact that they were not doing the mission to which God had called them to do. Back in Genesis 1, verse 28, God tells his people that they are to, be, to go out to be fruitful, to multiply, and to go out into all of the earth. As Walter Brueggemann says, they are supposed to be regents of God in every section of the world. They are, in other words, to be scattered... And we see that this is not what they want because they say it blatantly. They say, not only let us build a city and a tower to make a name for ourselves, but so that we will not be. I'm not going you guys had a lot of different languages coming at you at one time. So I'm not going to criticize you for this. So that we will not be scattered. And so here we understand immediately that what they want is to not be scattered. And why do you think it is they do not want to be scattered? Well, again, the Jesus Storybook Bible did a great job of theologizing this, which was to say because they were concerned about their safety. And whenever you are scattered, whenever you go out and you leave a group of people, you leave the four walls of a building, you leave the safety of a city, You are always going to be vulnerable and there will always be more danger than if you had simply stayed in your own safe place. So one of the important lessons for us to see is that they had a choice whether or not they wanted their organizing principle to be safety or to be doing the mission of God. And they chose safety. And I want you to know, you here at ZPC, that if we understand the story of the Tower of Babel, a primary part of it to be that they chose safety over being scattered and being vulnerable and going out from the places where they felt comfortable, then we had better pay careful attention. Because the society in which we live places an immense priority on safety and security in all forms. And there will be many times if we are following the mission of God when our priority of safety will have to be subverted under our priority to be about the mission of God. But that is not easy in our society. And it is not easy for those of us in the northwest suburbs of Indianapolis. You remember back in June, they came out with rankings. Do you remember these rankings? The safest cities in Indiana. Number one, Zionsville, Indiana. Number two, Carmel. I I had to live at the lodge. You remember the lodge? It's right over there. It's right on the Carmel-Zionsville line. I was so nervous. And then number seven is Westfield. It's like a war zone out there, quite frankly. In Indianapolis, I needn't even go there. And, of course, this is something that that folks are very proud of, right? I mean, it was the front page of the current, uh, whatever that current newspaper is. It comes out weekly. If you live in Zionsville, you receive it. Right, there it is, Zionsville number one. And if you're a real estate agent, this is nothing bad about real estate agents, but if you are, you're probably telling people, hey, number one, safest town, or number two, safest town, or number seven, safest town. If you're on town council, it's something that you want to advertise. And all those things are great. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want to be clear with you we are not town council, and we are not a real estate agency. We are a church of Jesus Christ. And the church of Jesus Christ does not listen to what is safe to decide whether or not they will fulfill the mission of God or not. Now, hear me, please. I'm not saying that if you're a Christ follower, you shouldn't live in a safe city. I'm not saying real Christians have bullet holes in their front doors, right? I mean, That would be a cool t-shirt, but that's not what I'm saying. Scriptures tell us to be wise, right? Scripture, scripture tells us, you know, uh, to, to be shrewd, right? Don't, don't, you know, keep locking your doors. Don't put your keys in your car. We're talking about maybe amping up some security for our daycare, for Noah's Ark. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to realize that safety can easily become idolatrous, and anytime time we decide not to follow where God is calling us to go and not be scattered because we would be much more comfortable just staying where we are, we are worshiping the idol of safety and security and we are building our tower and we are comfortable within it. And I want to be honest with you, the only way that we get out of that when we live in a safe place is to intentionally be scattered, is to intentionally say, I'm going to be uncomfortable. And that means lots of things. For some of us here, it may mean the fact that we actually move. It may mean that we move to West Africa. One of the most striking things that have happened to me, or that I've heard and understand when it comes to the Ebola virus what a horrible tragedy that is, is the fact that the three Americans who contracted Ebola and have come back have been what? Missionaries. People whose organizing principle has not been their own safety, but following the mission of Christ. So for some of us, it may be, let's think about that. For others, it may be the next time that we go to Mexico or Haiti, places that feel more unsafe, that perhaps we should think about going to one of those places. It may be that we begin to think more seriously about partnering and how we partner as individuals with the Shepherd Community Center on the east side of Indianapolis, a place that certainly feels less safe than where most of us live. But I also want to let you know that it isn't just something that you have to wait to do. Because it seems to me that scattering and being uncomfortable and not being set up within our own four walls is about more than just going off to a far distance. That we can oftentimes emotionally and socially protect ourselves as well. And we need to understand what it means to be scattered not just at particular times but each and every day. We, uh, we have a dog. Uh, a lot of people don't know we have a dog because we didn't have him for the first eight months that we were here. His name is JP. He's a, a very manly dog. Uh, he's a, a, a Bichon Frise. And so he, um, <laughs> but he's the only other boy in the house, so I, I, I have appreciation for him. And We've had him for several years, but we, um, uh, my father, uh, we we knew we weren't going to move into our own house here, so we gave him to my father in December, and he did a great job of watching him. And uh, uh, but but our dog, you know, perhaps you know what this like if you have a dog that's not very really well behaved. When he came back, we were we were both happy and a little bit sad to have him because because he's just always misbehaving, right? Almost every Saturday we go down as a family to the to the farmers market, right? And we. We go down there. We got our little, our little three-kid uh, stroller. You should see the looks that we get. And we, we head down, and I'm always amazed at the dogs. I, they must be drugged. Because they, I mean, they are so well behaved. They're giving like high paws to each other as they're going by. It's amazing, and we never take our dog down there because he would not stop barking and he would just keep lunging and he keeps lunging, and then you have to pull him back and he makes a choking sound, and and, and then people think you're abusing them, and I'm like, no way, right? Some visitor's gonna come on Sunday, and be like, hey, wait a second, that was the guy who was abusing his dog yesterday, and so so we just don't take them to those places. What was I? Oh yeah, JP. So we are. Um, <laughs> So there we were, uh, uh, this was probably six years ago, we were living in Chicago and, and we put him in the backyard, it was fully fenced, we said go play for a little bit and, and, and Megan and I went inside and we were, we were doing work and probably a half hour passed and all of a sudden we heard barking at the door, which would have been fine except for the barking was at the front door and not at the back door, which means we knew that he had been loose. And so we went out, I grabbed the front door, I pick him up and I look out and there is a neighbor of ours who lived about three houses down and she is standing there and she is not happy. And so she says a few choice words to me uh, about my dog watching abilities and about my dog And, and, and before I can do anything, she's just turned around and she's marching back to her house. Now I had a lot of things I wanted to say None of which rhyme with God loves you. <laughs> but before I could do anything, she was just gone. So the next day, I see her pulling up to her house. And I said, I'm going to go talk to her. And so I did. I wasn't packing or anything. I just I said, I'm going to go up there. And so I, I, I didn't take the dog. Uh, and so I, I went up. And before I could say anything, she looked at me and she said, I want to apologize for yesterday. She said, you know what, I have been under so much stress at work. And she began to tell me, not just about work, but things that were going on in her family. It was very odd, really. We we sat there, we had quite a conversation. I clearly got to know her very well, all of a sudden. And as I walked back after that conversation, I realized that this had been a forced scattering by God, if you will, and by our dog. That I had been forced to go out and to meet a neighbor, even though, as we've talked about before, I would be much more comfortable sitting in my little tower at my house. And yes, had I ever talked to her before? Sure, I had, right? We've talked about this. What do you do when you see somebody when they're driving by and they're a neighbor? You don't want to be rude. You smile, you wave, right? But that was it. And I had never had a real conversation with her. And I want you to know, and this is a message I've said before, and as long as I will be your pastor, you will hear it again and again and again. If we want to love our neighbors, we have to meet them. And we have to engage with them. And if we believe that God really wants every part of this world, including our neighborhoods, to have a touch from him, and we want every person to know that they have been loved by God and we know the struggle of accepting that love, then it is our responsibility to go to work and to do that. It will not just happen. We will not one day magically wake up and feel incredibly comfortable and safe enough to just go outside and do that. And so you have homework for this week, as I am apt to give. And your homework for this week is to figure out a way to be intentionally scattered. And there are lots of ways to do this. You can can make cookies for a neighbor you don't know well and say, I'm going to go over and I'm going to give them these cookies and see what happens. You can decide you're going to take the dog for a walk. If you don't have a dog... Put a leash on the kid or something and go out. Not really, but it would give you something to talk about. Or at least to the police officer. (laughs) Go out. Decide that you're gonna walk around the, the halls of your office and pray to meet somebody, or that you are able to strike up a conversation with somebody that has some kind of depth. I've got a soccer game I've got to go to this afternoon. Perhaps rather than, quite frankly, as I've done the last two games that I've gone to, rather than just sitting there, I will actually engage in more conversation with some of the parents that are surrounding me. Be intentionally scattered because it is our call. There is a tendency within almost all of us to get settled, to create a tower. And to feel safe. But if we genuinely believe. That God has called us everywhere. And if we genuinely believe. Our mission which is together. Called together by God. To make disciples and release them for service. Into our broken world. I.E. Called together by God to make disciples. And be scattered. Then we have to start living into it. Not. Not in order to gain the love of God. You already have that. But in response to the love of God, which you have received and which we all desire for others to know. Sisters and brothers in Christ, choose scatter and being scattered over safety. For God and for God's kingdom, Amen.